John, we're on the air. Yeah, I know. I'm just confused. When did we get a security guard outside of the booth? I don't know. He just appeared today, but he frisked me. He frisked you? Oh, it was uncomfortable, yes. He got right in there, did he? Oh, he did. In that case, I'm just glad he just took my donuts. <sighs> anyway, folks, uh, welcome back to Area 51 and a Half with your host, John Allen, and my co-host... Snyderman, 501 Nick Snyder. Yeah, we're sorry we've been away, but, uh, you know, the way of the world these days, we had uh, things that we couldn't be in the booth together because uh, safety reasons. Yep, yep, but I'm feeling better now. And I Nick, feel great. I'm so glad that we're back at it, and so glad that you're feeling better, and that you haven't had uh, too rough a go of it. Well, to be fair, I'm just glad to be able to see people again. I was I was down for two weeks, didn't see people for two weeks, just kept myself isolated for two weeks. I'm glad to be back. It's great. Yep. And uh, just a quick shout-out to one of our fans who has been listening, who has been just on me about when are we going to have another Area 51 and a Half podcast. So, Don, thank you for listening, and I will be talking to you soon. All right, so shall we get right into it with the pop culture roundup this week? Yeah, let's go right into it. All right, so something really cool that hit today that I, and I feel kind of ashamed that I didn't know this was coming because I am a huge Pokemon fan, uh, Nintendo and Game Freak today announced the new Generation 9 game, Pokemon Violet and Scarlet, and when this as the same with every new version of the game, they announced the uh, the starter Pokemon, which is Sprigatito, the grass type, Fuecoco, the fire type, and Quoxley, the water type. Now, the really cool thing about this is, as most Pokemon fans know, the regions, the maps, all take place in an area that's based on a real area in the world. The first four generations were all based on provinces in Japan. And then starting with uh, Generation 5 in Unova, it was based off of New York and then Hawaii, France, a whole bunch of other places. This one appears to be Spain. And I'm excited for that, especially when you look at the names of some of the starters, Sprigatito and Fuecoco. They have kind of a Spanish flair to them. And I'm really looking forward to that. And if you're wondering, dear listeners, dear Dear aliens, I will be going with Fuecoco for my starter, the fire type, because I can't wait for that. Another one that's coming up is Indiana Jones 5 has finished shooting. Oh, I know. My question is why? Well, you know why. Yes, we know why, the money. But, I mean, this is something we were talking about before we got right in the booth here. Uh, Like, I'm getting tired of it. I'm getting tired of my childhood of my adolescence being milked to death for another generation they don't even do it as well i mean i was kind of okay with uh number four it wasn't the best but it wasn't the worst i mean it was kind of right up there was an indiana jones movie but i mean harrison ford like what is this entitled like indiana jones in the wheelchair of doom like what the heck (sighs) and funnily enough i believe he like in Force Awakens, I believe he broke his leg during production. Um, <laughs> listen, here's I I know what I I'm not gonna say I know what they're doing with this one, but Phoebe Waller Bridge is in this movie, and it is if you don't know Phoebe Waller Bridge, she was in Flea, uh, she played L three three seven in Solo. She's very very funny. I think that this is going to be some pass the torch thing from Harrison Ford to Phoebe Waller-Bridge because they are she's been really talked up about this movie but that's still yet to be seen because I don't think 
Harrison Ford could do a sixth movie. I mean, I don't think he can do a fifth movie. How much is he going to be in this movie? He's older than Sean Connery ever was when he, when he did the third Indiana Jones film. It's it's kind of becoming a parody of itself. But that brings me to my point. I mean, I'm seeing all of this stuff from my childhood kind of being ruined for me. We, we had that conversation. We were talking about the Star Wars franchise and just how big it all is. Oh. You know, and, and I'm one of those guys where I'm like, I rewatched A New Hope the other night. I told you that. Yeah. But I rewatched it on Disney Plus. And of course, I only, I only got to see the um, additional special effects. I couldn't see the movie purely the way it was shot originally. And I have to say, honestly, even, and I said it back then, it added nothing to the movie. You know, and, and there's the thing, like, I'm I'm very contentious when it comes to the term, oh, this ruins my childhood, but in the case of the Star Wars Special Editions, it actually, I, I actually give credence to that, because you cannot, unless you have the original Untouched Trilogy on VHS, you can't go watch that. I don't believe, I might be wrong, but I don't believe it ever saw a DVD or Blu-ray Blu release. I think it did. Did it? I think it did. But you again, you would have to own them. Yeah. Like, they don't have them on Disney+. Plus. My Blu-ray collection doesn't have them included. I, I don't know what to say about that. But <clears throat> at the end of the day, you it really has changed the perspective of the original Star Wars trilogy because it is very hard to find that untouched version. Yeah, and not only that, and I don't mind a progression of character. I don't mind that kind of thing. But, I mean, Boba Fett was a bad guy in the original trilogy. In yeah. Bounty Hunter, he was a bad guy. He was set up to be a bad guy. And now he's... An anti-hero. An anti-hero. Okay, we'll go with that. But, I mean, the mistakes that they made in the book of Boba Fett, and it's time for our spoiler alert in case you haven't seen it. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. They did a big mistake, and it's a goofy mistake. When he crawls out of the Sarlacc pit, he's wearing his armor. That's yeah. what protected him in the Sarlacc pit. And then a few episodes later, he goes there looking for his armor. I uh, Part of me thinks that there was something missing in the story there that may have been cut. Okay, but it wouldn't wind up back in the Sarlacc pit. No, no. I... I think the intention is that he doesn't remember the following moments of getting out of the Sarlacc pit, which would make sense. But that is something that would need to have been expressly stated in the narrative. But otherwise, because that's just how I, that's just the gist I got. Okay, wonderful. So, but he would still have the armor. The armor would be there with the Tuscan Raiders or Sand People or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, yeah. Which actually is funny. I mean, since we're talking about the original trilogy, this is what I mean. I don't mean that my childhood is ruined. I mean that things have gotten to a point where I'm just like, I don't remember it that way. And I get so much crap for it. So you're going to give me a quick lesson on what these characters are actually called. Because when I was a child and you went into the Creature Cantina, they had vastly different names to what they have now. For instance, let's start with uh, Greedo. Right. So what is the race, the, or alien race that Greedo is. Rodian. Okay, so he's a Rodian. Yeah. That was never mentioned ever no. until, I don't know when, until I wasn't following it, I guess. Hammerhead. Do you know who I'm talking about? Yeah, he's an Athorian. He's an Athorian. Yeah. Walrus Man. Uh, Pondababa. I can't, Aqualish. He's an Aqualish. 
Oh, no, or Aquilish. For a minute there, I, I thought you said uh, a, a koala. <laughs> <laughs> the, you said she? He. He. P- Pondabab is an Aqualish. Okay. See, and that that's the thing. So, like, I refer to them in their 1970s name, and I get crap for it. See, and, and there, there is a, there's a story behind that. Like, even the names that you refer to them by, that's not the production name. That's the name that Kenner came up for them with the toys. It doesn't matter. Well, what, what I'm saying, though, is that these these characters, these species didn't even have names in the original no, production. No, It was Kenner that came up with the names, and that just kind of stuck until all of the expanded stuff came out, books, comic books, right. naming right. these different species. It was a slow roll for a lot of them. But at the end of the day... Yeah, because by the time you get to um, Empire Strikes Back and you get to uh, Return of the Jedi... The characters then have names like yeah. Bib Fortuna, um, Regis, uh, obviously Boba Fett. Yeah, yeah, um, and that's that's kind of the neat thing with it is that Star Wars. Now you and I, it's, it's kind of neat because you and I get to view things very differently. You have you grew up. You like the original trilogy came out when you were a kid. Yeah, and you saw it kind of form. I was there. yeah. I was only eight years old when Star Wars came out, and I remember back then, folks, uh, in our area anyway. I don't know if it was that way all over, but you had single plexes. Yeah, right, there weren't the multiplexes existed, but in big, big cities. So you had to go to your local theater. If a movie was doing well, the theaters had the option of holding it over before you could get it to another theater. Star Wars was held over for an entire year in the city next to us. And so my mother actually said to my father, you better take them over there to see this movie because we didn't know if it was ever going to get here. Yeah. And then when we saw it and it finally came here, we had to take our mother to see it because like you all have never seen anything like this. Yep. And... That's what I mean by kind of when I say it, it kind of ruins my childhood in a way because I, if you're a fan of the prequels, that's okay. You can be a fan of the prequels. I mean, whatever brings you into a fandom is fine by me. But I, I really am not a fan of the prequels, and you know that. And part of that, one of the things that I mentioned about them adding all of these scenes, they did that sort of in advance of the prequels to try and make the universe fit a little bit better. Yeah, yeah. And the big problem I said to you the other night was that these special effects, these special effects, the new ones that he did in the 90s, uh-huh. date the movies. Whereas the old special effects where, you know, guys in rubber masks, costumes, puppets, that doesn't feel as inorganic. You know, and, and that's the thing. Like, one of the interviews I saw with George Lucas, and I think it was Leonard Maltin. I might be wrong. But George Lucas uh, said that one of his old mentors told him that a movie, movie is never really finished. It's just abandoned. And I would, I'd love to get my, my, my hands on that mentor and slap him around a little bit. But here's the thing. There are some things that were done in the special edition that makes sense. For example, some of the the things that appear on screen just as limitations of the time, like getting rid of the uh, the orange smear that was underneath the land speeder. I appreciated that. In Empire Strikes Back, when you look, if you look really closely at the original cut of the Empire Strikes Back, and you're looking at the fight between the snow speeders and the AT-ATs, the the, the cockpits of the snow speeders are actually slightly 
ever so slightly translucent, and you can see the AT-AT walkers through the cockpit. And they, they went in this in the special edition, they went back and they touched that up so you can no longer see the AT-AT through the machinery of the of the cockpit. That stuff makes sense. Adding all the background of Bespin to the Bespin scenes, that makes sense. But adding in I I know you're waffling on that. I just I like it because it opens up the world, which is what which is one of the things I love about Star Wars is that very, very massive open universe that still tends to seem kind of small because everybody knows Luke Skywalker. However, I digress. But adding in things like an extended musical number, adding in a Jab of the Hut scene where Han Solo has to jankly walk around Jab of the Hut because he has a tail. It doesn't really add anything. Yeah. That's the point. It doesn't add anything. But anyway, we're not oh, here we're, to we're, talk we're, about yeah. Star Wars. We're going to go on to the next part of the roundup. So one more thing I want to bring up. Now, normally we don't discuss rumors on the roundup, but this is this is all but confirmed at this point. And it still kind of ties into this whole using legacy characters thing, but I'm still excited for it. Stone Cold Steve Austin is going to be making a return to in-ring action at WrestleMania. Now, Stone Cold is 57 years old. He has a bad neck. So whatever match they do is probably going to be kind of lightweight compared to what he would normally have done in the ring like 20 years ago. But if, if if I watch WrestleMania and I hear the glass shatter and Stone Cold comes out, man, I am going to lose my mind. It's going to be awesome to see him back and stone cold is one of my all-time favorite character wrestlers i loved him i loved how he sort of got elevated with the whole screw the boss and became the the average guy's wrestler if you will um just the average joe with the the beer and the don't give up and all that kind of stuff it was a great character and it was a great character for him and and going going back to the screw the boss part now this one is is expressly a rumor but allegedly the 70 year, 78 year old ceo of the wwe vince mcmahon is going to also have a match at wrestlemania well maybe maybe <laughs> that's it maybe it's it's this it's stone cold and vince well no no because we know again rumor but allegedly uh stone cold is going to be going up against uh one of my more preferred modern wrestlers kevin owens so that'll be interesting, and it's it's, an, it's a smart idea because Kevin Owens is a very safe worker, and I know he ca- he could carry an elderly. I don't want to say elderly, but an older Stone Cold through a good match. So yeah, he's not elderly. Yeah, yet. no, he's not. He's fifty seven. I mean, his, his, his <laughs> he's probably feeling some pain in his joints, but he's not an old man. Yeah, I mean, actually, I- actually, really funnily enough, I when I when I uh, first heard that news yesterday, I pulled up a Stone Cold movie on Netflix to check out. It's called Damage. And you know what? Stone Cold's film career isn't great. It's all straight-to-DVD action films. But the thing that I appreciate about Stone Cold Steve Austin as an on-screen film performer is that he doesn't overdo it. He doesn't do roles that he can't do. Because damage is very much just something... It's just a, it's just a, a safe little action flick. And I, love, I actually love watching him in the, in the uh, Tide Cold... Water uh, commercials. 
Oh, those are so funny. That's so funny. But this this is what I'm getting at, though, and this is sort of where our, our theme is kind of going this week. It's the whole idea of these legacy characters. Like, Hollywood has nothing new to offer us anymore, and it's driving me kind of around the bend. So let's let's talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, let's which just came out on Netflix. It's, it's kind of a, a back and forth here. Either the... The fans love it or they hate it. There really doesn't seem to be and that, too, too much in between. You and I are kind of in between. Yeah, yeah. Here's the deal. A lot of horror movies nowadays, you either have the camp who really likes it or you have the camp that hates it. And there, there really is no real... Like, if you going back to Halloween Kills, I mean, you and I made our opinion on Halloween Kills very clear. Either you like it or you don't like it. And I, I just... that That is how it's going. Same, same... Now, we haven't seen it. As of yet, but the same thing with the new Scream movie. People either loved it or hated it. So that that seems to be a really horror seems to be very divisive. Sci-fi as well, I find. But looking at Texas Chainsaw Massacre now, here's the thing: you you liked it. Yeah, I liked it for what it was. I do see the other camp though. Yeah, I can. I I'm a, I'm in agreement with you. I liked it for what it was. I thought it was a nifty little slasher flick. Yeah, and it is. And, you know, uh, again, spoiler alert. Spoiler Spoiler alert. This is one of those situations where when that bus showed up, they delivered for what I wanted to see. I wanted to see all of those. I'm not sure what generation they are, but I wanted them to sit there and get hacked and slashed on the bus and they delivered that in spades yeah they did that movie has some of the best kills i've seen in a slasher flick in a good long while and i think that this is where the problem lies because if it was any other movie if it was any other horror movie not texas chainsaw massacre not leatherface everybody would have eaten that up yeah but i think that the camp that doesn't like it it says to them, it's the same comment I made, it doesn't feel like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. And this is where you and I kind of look at it a little bit differently. Before the the show started, we were talking about the aesthetics of the film. And one of the things that you brought up was... That it wasn't, like, it didn't have that grit. It wasn't that yeah. greasy kind of thing. In the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, because it was guerrilla-style shooting... Because they did it in, like, what, a week, a weekend, something, something like that? Like that yeah. And you could feel the heat of Texas. You could smell the movie. There were scents. There were, you could almost taste the dinge in the, uh, in the, the family's house. Yeah. And that is missing from this movie. And I agree with you on that. But, and as I've said to you before, part of me wants to think that was done purposely because of the subject matter of the film. You're dealing with these Gen Z, Zoomer age characters, and they, they've grown up with things been reprocessed for them, like Star Wars, like Indiana Jones, all that stuff where it feels more sanitized. And I think that was a purposeful choice on the director's part. Now, you and I had already, had already talked about that, and while I think that's a... A perfectly fine choice. You disagreed with me on that. Yeah, well, now that I have Shudder, I can watch certain things. And one of the things that I watched, and you'll see the connection in a minute, is I watched the Boulay Brothers Dragula. 
Right. Now, that for those who are not familiar with it, I'm sure everyone is familiar with RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Well, RuPaul's Drag Race focuses more on the glamour, feminine side of drag. Right. They do bring in the occasional things like the horror drag and all that kind of stuff, and they bring in different challenges. But the Boulay brothers are strictly horror. Mm-hmm. Okay? So it's not always a feminine silhouette that they're looking for. Right. One of the tenets of the show, they have four tenets for the show. Drag, horror, glamour, and filth. Right. Okay. Out of all of the big franchises, Mm -hmm. the one that Texas Chainsaw Massacre fits best into is the horror and the filth. Yeah. And the filth was missing. And when you take the filth, out of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it stops feeling like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. Yeah, I, I can... I understand what you mean by that. I understand where you're going with that. Absolutely, I do. Um, I just... I felt it worked. And honestly, I, I thought the movie was just really pretty. And maybe that's that's where I'm... Where I'm not going to say I'm wrong in, but that's where I differ. Is like Maybe Texas Chainsaw Massacre is not supposed to be a pretty film to watch. It's not. It's, yeah. it's not. A, there is nothing pretty about being shanked and ripped to shreds by a chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing pretty about that. I will, however, say that when Sally goes to the first scene uh-huh. after uh, Leatherface's adopted mother has passed away and he's gone off his rocker. That scene was beautifully shot. Yeah, the was. cinematography in it is gorgeous. I loved it. This is why I'm liking it more than I liked Halloween Kills. Although my criticisms of it are are valid. Yeah. And I think that this is where uh, the other camp is getting into. So let me talk a little bit about some of those criticisms. So some of these things are things that didn't really make sense in the script. The first one I want to talk about is how Leatherface got there in the first place because again this is one of those things where they're they're picking it up however many years later yeah but they're erasing all of the quite frankly mostly garbage sequels yep and starting right from the toby hooper classic right so at the end of that movie we see leatherface swinging the yeah, chainsaw the, around the chainsaw and dance just, and all that yeah doing his thing while sally hawkins is getting away and yep. and she's gone loopy and she's screaming because she can't believe she's alive and that she's gotten away yeah so it begs the question how did leatherface a grown-ass man wind up in an orphanage being cared for by surprisingly enough played by alice craig who we did not recognize no 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 not at all that shocked me because i didn't even find out until after the movie that it was alice craig when i was looking at the credits yeah and and for those of you who are, are looking for a little bit of um placement alice craig uh, played the Borg Queen in Star Trek First Contact. Yep. She was the mother in Sleepwalkers and also the mother in Reign of Fire. Yeah. And she was also in Silent Hill. Yeah. And she wasn't in Reign of Fire that long. No, I mean, no, she, I don't think she so. She kind of gets killed and then we follow, uh, yeah. follow the story later on. Yeah. So, so, so it begs that question. And that's a question that never gets answered. And to me, that is almost, it'd be a different type of story. But to me, that is, almost a really superior story to what we got in this movie. Again, like the movie, but for something a little bit more in-depth, a little bit more character-driven, they could have given us that. Yeah. Now, I will say that they remained 
consistent with the character of Leatherface. Yeah. Because if you look at the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, there is a scene um, where he has just pretty much killed a second or third of the party of kids that goes there and gets slaughtered. And Gunnar Hansen played this beautifully. Mm-hmm. Where Leatherface is looking around and he's banging his head and he's he's confused as much to say without having any lines, where the hell are all these kids coming from and what are they doing in my damn house? <laughs> so, yeah. so unlike a lot of the other killers like Freddy or, or Michael, mm-hmm. they went there. Mm-hmm. Leatherface doesn't go out and just, you know, chop, chop, here we go. You are invading his space. So... When we look at that, mm-hmm. they did that beautifully in the fact that he was protecting his quote-unquote mother. Yep. And he wasn't crazy. He wasn't doing anything violent necessarily. He just went with his mother to the hospital. When she dies, that's when he snaps. Yep. She was keeping him docile under control and then... Yeah. And that that's probably the last... Obviously, the last little bit of family he has left from the Sawyer clan, if she even is a Sawyer, who knows? Well, yeah, and you know what? She may be, she may not be. It's hard to say because they didn't delve into that. Yeah. Which then brings us to that next question. How old is he? Now, if I'm looking at it, I'm going to give it a pass and say, okay, well, he was maybe not the youngest Sawyer clan. I wouldn't think so. but... But he's somewhere in the middle. So I would say he's in his 20s. If I'm if I'm being generous and saying he's in his twenties, yeah, in the then, original movie, then in this movie he, he's seventy at least. Yeah, and that's that that goes under the whole thing with with Michael Myers, like these are old men. Yeah, but Michael's only in his sixties, and I have as a, I used to work as a personal support worker. I can tell you there are some strong guys in their sixties and seventies. Fair. You've met my father before yeah. he got sick and passed away. He was still very strong. I wouldn't have wanted to tangle with him. Yeah. However, he also had his Achilles heels. He His leg bothered him for years because it was broken in three places by a backhoe when he worked in the water department. Well, look at it this way. A chainsaw is not a light piece of machinery. No. And it requires a lot of strength to control it. After, we've already done our spoiler alert for this, right? Yeah, okay. So, after Leatherface decimates that bus full of kids, I think he would be a little bit winded after that. Maybe a little, you know? I would think so. Have to collect them, you know, bent over, clutching his knee. And and I kind of give props to the the makers of this film because they gave him gray, whitish hair. Yeah. So, I mean, props to that. They realize that, yeah, he's old. But, I mean, it's... And you brought up the chainsaw and talking about things old. This is one thing that I saw a lot of fans talking about. It's like, there's no way that chainsaw would prime and work after being in a wall for like 40 years or or 50 years, actually. Well, and that's one of those things where it's like suspension of disbelief. Like, if you compare that to like... Something like The Walking Dead, where they yeah. still have running cars. It's like, okay, just just let it go. Well, they don't now. Anymore. Oh, they don't? No, oh, not okay. anymore. They're, they're, they're using horses to drag the cars. Uh, but oh, yeah, I, I mean, gas does sort of wear out. So, I mean, that, that one's a little bit nitpicky, but I get their point. Yeah. I get their yeah. point. Um, and then, then let's 
go into, speaking of age, speaking of legacy characters, why would they waste a legacy character like Sally? Because Laurie makes sense going after Michael. Sally makes zero sense going after Leatherface. It's the same criticism I had of those other legacy characters in Halloween Kills, where you tell me that just that Tommy and uh, and his, uh, Lindsay haven't gone off to college somewhere. They stayed in Haddonfield and just sat there and sucked their thumbs and said, "I can, we're 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 Halloween survivors." I don't buy that, and I don't buy that Sally is became a ranger and is looking to hunt down the Sawyer family, particularly Leatherface. I can buy that she became a ranger because why not? But. This this grudge, I don't know. It, just, it seemed searching the great state of Texas because she had nothing better to do for forty five yeah. years. Come on, yeah. it was it was a silly choice. And in all honesty, she existed just to be a cutaway. Well, and that's the thing. I honestly feel that she was added in in reshoots. Maybe she was, maybe she wasn't. I don't know for it that. It seemed like an afterthought. It felt like that, and maybe that's one of the problems with the, the movie. It did feel like that. But it's one of those things where you bring back the character just to waste her. You killed her. That shouldn't have been the way it went. And the way that they killed her, and the fact that she was still quote-unquote functioning afterwards was ridiculous so yeah yeah let's let's compare let's compare because one of the memes i've seen is hilarious where it's like it it, it shows sally and it shows laurie right and it's like can i copy your homework it's like yeah Yeah. just change things up a little bit so that they they know you don't copy it and that's what it it almost feels like in a way but again with laurie it makes sense laurie in halloween kills had to have surgery she barely made it. Yeah. It's from a stab wound. Uh-huh. Not a chainsaw going right through you, lifting you right up. I'm sorry. Let's just throw out to our, our, our friend David, who plays Art the Clown, and that chainsaw scene. Uh, yeah. Terrifier. Yeah. That's what a chainsaw does to you. Yeah. Um, okay. So, th- and that's the thing, is like, I can I can suspend my disbelief quite a ways. But for an elderly woman, and at this point she is elderly. Yeah, she's got to be in her sixties to be ran through That's by. Still a... Not elderly, but I digress. Fair, whatever. My mom she... in her eighties is elderly. Okay, she is ran through by a chainsaw. Okay, she's no spring chick any though. Okay. But even if this happened to a woman in her twenties, a man in her twenties, whatever, to be run through by a chainsaw, lifted up in the air, and chucked aside. You're not you're not living through that. You're no. not going to be conscious after that. If you are still alive, if your body's going to be in shock and you're not moving. But for her to live through it for a little bit and then save the 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 the, the two final girls, she um, was dead the moment that chainsaw went through her. Yeah. Her innards became meatball soup. Yeah, exactly. It was ridiculous. And again, I've I've seen some ridiculous crap in slasher films. I mean, I look back at, uh, for example, Friday the 13th Party, Jason Takes Manhattan, where he knocks a guy's head literally clean off by punching it, and it looks like it's been cut off. That was ridiculous. Fun as hell, but ridiculous. The, what, 
what I I saw there, and again, I like this movie. Just so we're clear, yeah, just so just so we're clear, we enjoyed the movie. We liked it. It was just a scene that took us right out. And honestly, up until that point, I was I was into it. Yeah, I was completely I, yeah, I'm into just, it. All we're doing is discussing both sides here. I mean, we, we yeah. talked about what was beautiful. It's nice to bring back a legacy character, but don't waste them. I see your point when we're talking about the cinematography because the cinematography in this movie was fantastic. Oh, man. It was oh, fantastic. Man. It's a it's a pretty movie. Yeah. It's a very pretty movie. Yeah, so there's a lot of things and it was fun. Yeah. It was fun to watch. Um I, I'm not sure what I feel honestly about the political statements that were made in the movie. Because here's the thing. If a horror movie is relevant and political to a certain time it does add a lot to it however they just kind of skimmed over these things like yeah. they're there it's part of it they're showing maybe some of the the, the texas it, yeah it, it, it's it's culture clash i mean texas is a very republican state like yeah and, and, and we're not coming down on texas for yeah. that uh, especially if our friend destiny is listening <laughs> we're not coming down on texas for being republican okay we're just saying that if they're going to bring in these elements then utilize them more you go with it don't just gloss over it so and Looking at the symbolism of the film, okay, you've got the culture clashes between left and right. Mm -hmm. Fine, okay, cool. You've got the idea that the left, these leftist, these clearly leftist characters, make their assumptions about the uh, the guy in the pickup truck. Yeah, and then he, then they meet him again. He's not a bad guy. Yeah. Um, the the idea, and it's it's very in your face, and it's very there. One of the most in your face aspects of this film when it came to symbolism was the, was the bus scene as much as i enjoyed the bus scene it was wet it was gory it was fantastic but the idea of these kids holding up their phone when leatherface comes in and starts revving up their uh, revving up his chainsaw is indicative of the idea of current society does not see what's in front of their eyes. They will raise their phone and record it. They until don't feel it goes... they're in any danger. Yeah. They yeah. feel that they are right and, you see and they're that. not in danger. You see that when you're looking at the comments are being left on the one guy's live, the guy that says, if you do it, you're canceled, bro. Um, you see one of the comments say that looks so fake. And that's kind of the thing is that we don't, we don't trust media. We don't trust um, people's cell phones because it's skewing to one point of view or the other. We don't trust what we're actually seeing anymore. We have blinders on. We have bl we have blinders in the shape of cell phones on. It was a cool idea, but again, it was very, very in your face. And I don't know if this was the movie to make that point. No, I, I don't think it was. I think that the the point, the better point was, hey, y'all, you're in Texas. Yeah. You know, and you, you can have that divide between the left and the right, where it's like, maybe you need to stop and think about things. You know, like they, they had the one character with Alice Creek's character. And she was like, no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. That, that flag, that rebel flag, I don't mean anything by that. That was... You know, my, my great-great-grandfathers or something like that. I don't mean any harm by that. Yeah. Now, you know, we're not here debating the rebel flag. We know what that stands for. We know what that means to people. And we're not 
uh, we're not saying that that's right. I'm just saying that the point in the movie is a well-made point. Yeah, and that's where they should have stuck. And I again, I get what the director was going for, but but they didn't reach it. No, they didn't. No. Make, they didn't get there. They they made a few points and then they came back, and then they made a few points and then they came back, and they made a few points and then they came back, and those points were never fully realized they were never fully germinated they were never fully brought out yeah like i don't think it's as <sighs> you know the movie trauma's war one of lloyd kaufman lloyd kaufman's films there's a character in it that has aids now the character that has it has aids is very much a villain and portrayed as a villain but the reason lloyd kaufman went with this to bring light to the fact that, hey, AIDS is a thing. He did it very ham-fistedly, very, very in your face, because he just wanted to bring light to that, or so he says. <laughs> yeah, but the, deep, but, but the deeper thing, though, is, if you get into the, the late 80s when the AIDS epidemic started, and AIDS very much, the disease itself, very much was a villain to a community. Yeah. I mean, it yeah. was taking the best and the brightest artists of a generation... It was scary to people, especially yeah. straight people, because how do you get it? If these people can get it, can we get it through a blood transfusion? Can we get it from a toilet seat? Where, can we get it by kissing? Yeah. Like, there was a there lot was, of... There was a lot of fear yeah, behind there, there it. There was and a I, lot of unknowns. Yeah, and I started working as a personal support worker during the AIDS epidemic, and I went to AIDS patients. Mm -hmm. And these people were dying with all of those unknown questions. Yeah. You know, so it was... I'm not to do my own horn. It was a very brave thing to do yeah. on my part. I agree with that. But at the same time, you trust the science, you trust the education. So I knew I couldn't get it randomly just by being yeah. there. So, yeah, I see what Kaufman was, I guess, trying yeah. to do by villainizing yeah. the disease. Yeah, but that's that's the thing. It's not quite as bombastic as and in your face as that that villain with aids in trauma's war but it's still really really in your face and much like trauma's war i don't think this was the movie to make this point no because it's been so long since well i shouldn't say it's been so long we've, we've had some texas chainsaw massacre movies and honestly outside of texas the first texas chainsaw massacre and the remake yep um, and even the, the, they did a prequel. Yeah, the beginning. Yeah, which wasn't too bad. I mean, yeah. a lot of people enjoy it. Leatherface was terrible. Okay. So um, there's, but I mean, the, the point I'm getting at is that there's only really kind of a handful, not even a handful, like no. a couple really good Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. So let's, let's recap that series as a whole because I'd like to talk about the quality of the series as a whole. So you got the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is an all time horror classic. Yep. Toby Hooper's one of his best films. Yeah, I and, love it. And it's to me one of the scariest movies because it is. as I said, there's an authenticity to how it was shot, the grit, the filth, the greasiness of it. You feel like you're there. Yeah. Now you got Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, which is a wholly different style of movie. It is very manic. It is very neon. And it's a little weird, especially with Dennis Hopper. It's kind of goofy. It is. I still enjoy it. And made a good decade after. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you've got Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 Leatherface, which was awful. It was not a good film. Then you've got The Next Generation, which was shelved. 
And only brought out because Matthew McConaughey and Renee Zellweger's stars were rising. So a little bit about that. So it was originally released on a limited run as the return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It made, on its limited run, it made a grand total of $45,000. So the studio shelved it. Then Renee's, uh, was, uh, Jerry Maguire was coming out, which right. Renee Zellweger was in. And was expected to make a lot of money. So the studio... And she was nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. So the studio recut Return of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, they renamed it to Texas Chainsaw Massacre The Next Generation. And released it to try and make money off of Renee Zellweger's back and Matthew McConaughey's back. It still failed because it sucks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what they did next was the remake with Jessica Biel. That was good. It was good. That it was, was really good. it was really enjoyable. It felt like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It had that that great it had that filth. And our Lee Army is just He brought the gravitas and it's a beautiful thing because it now set up a new trope for the franchise of not being able to trust the popo. Yep. 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 Uh which actually uh, we'll talk about this in a second, but it kind of circles back to the new one as well. But then we have the beginning, the prequel. And that was still pretty good. That was, uh, oh, God, I can't remember her name. Um, but still, really, really good film. I really enjoyed it. Then we've got the, uh, it was Texas Chainsaw 3D, which is the first time that they went back and they made it a sequel to the, directly to the first movie. They, they scrubbed out everything else and it was a direct sequel. I enjoy that one, but I think I'm a little bit biased because I love Alexandra Daddario. I think she's fantastic. Um, but it also did what Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 could not do, and it, it made Leatherface hideously scary again. Mm -hmm. He is a brute force. But I also, it also did this thing where I don't really like when they take the villain from a slasher movie and make him into a what is essentially the protagonist. Yeah. Because they do that at the end, and it's just like, whatever. Um, then you have that Leatherface movie, the prequel, that sucked. Uh, <laughs> nothing else to say. It was god-awful. But, but that's the thing, and that's the thing with, with the remake, with the original, with this one. It's one of the things that's missing from this one, is that in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies, it's not just about Leatherface. Yeah, it's family. It, there's, there's a whole family there. The Saw's family. You know, and I think without the family, it does. It however, does. it also works because yeah. they say, "Yeah, he's an old geezer." Yeah. So the fam the rest of the family, they're dead. Yeah. Now, um, and that's the interesting thing. The um, the Easter egg at the end of this is watching him go home. Yeah. Now, running back uh, to the whole idea of don't trust the popo. In this one, we get kind of that scene yeah, where they're pulled it. over, and you're expecting the the police to give them crap, and then the police is just like, "Yeah, just don't ca cause any trouble in my town." Boom, done. Yeah, and that was, and, and it gets back to the trope of where police are supposed to be in a horror movie. Yeah. Okay, the police aren't necessarily supposed to be the villain. The whole idea of the reason that police get usually get killed. Mm -hmm. in a horror movie, is because once you have taken away law and order, chaos can reign. Yeah. Like, if you look at... I'm just thinking of some... Like, I'm looking at Friday the 13th Part 6. Um, the police chief from that was... He was a complete hindrance to Tommy. 
because he, why would he believe that Jason Voorhees has come back to life? It's completely ridiculous, the idea of it, yeah. right? Anytime there is law enforcement in any of the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels, one that really comes to mind is Freddy vs. Jason, is that they are covering up Freddy's existence. So the police already, although they're, they're working from a, a, a place of good, it's still hard to trust them because they're lying. Yeah, but, but that's what I'm, I'm talking about, though. Like you, you get in there, and you have these police officers. The, the idea of a police officer has changed, unfortunately, over the years. Mm-hmm. But they're there to serve and protect. That is the motto of any police unit ever. Serve and protect. So you feel that sense of safety when you see them. But there's also that sense of fear when you get pulled over. Like, well, wait, what did I do? So when when that safety is taken from you, it's supposed to make the audience uncomfortable because you go, well, who can I turn to? So when you have that Arlie Ermey character yeah. where he is the sheriff, he is the police officer, but he's also part of this nutbag family, <laughs> like, well, where do you turn to? Yeah, exactly. Who's there to make you feel safe when the people who make you feel safe don't make you feel safe? Exactly. And that's And I word it like that specifically because it becomes... Like, the way I worded it, it is meant to confuse you. And that's the thing is, once the co- you can't trust the cop, you, it causes confusion. It causes dread because of that confusion. What do you do now? Yeah, yeah. And that that's one thing that I did kind of like about this movie is that I didn't really feel that anybody acted in a stupid way. Yeah, I I don't disagree with you. Like even going back to the bus scene because I love the bus scene, the the level of panic that set. Okay, let's start from the, the bus scene from when Leatherface first walks on the bus. So homie pulls out his phone, says, "Try anything, you're canceled." Honestly, I could see that happen. Yeah, that makes sense. Then when he revs up, revs up the chainsaw, they realize. Oh no, we're in trouble. Yeah, we're going to get canceled. And, and that's the funny thing because it's like trying anything and you're canceled. Well, what does that mean to this hillbilly? Yeah, exactly. It means nothing to him. Um, and, and even the point, like I made the point that people don't really act in a stupid way. Yeah. I know that there's listeners who are going to disagree with me. So let me give you an example. The Something hits the bus as they're leaving. Mm-hmm. Girl is sitting, the girl's sitting there going, no, no, don't, don't, don't get don't, off the bus. Yeah. Don't get off the bus. But the bus driver has to. That is his job. He has to get off the bus to see what has happened to the bus. Yeah. So he does not act in a stupid way because nobody has told him that Hillbilly Jim is out there with a chainsaw ready to shank people. But even if you look at the way the people act on the bus once the you-know-what hits the fan, they're panicking, but it makes sense what they're doing. Like, you have the one girl that tro- that that does her best to open the window and try and crawl out, but Leatherface still gets her and splits her down the middle. Like, that is something somebody would do. They're going on pure preservation at that point. Yeah. Yeah, and and you run. And And you run. When you have nowhere to run, you do your best to find someplace to run. Yeah, and I thought the the guy that... uh, that he thought was going to be the male lead, he just gets wasted. And I thought he was dead. And then like he he rises up, he crawls out, and, oh, the the special effects and the makeup oh. that they used on that jaw. Oh. oh it's, it's such, like, the gore in it, it, it the gore was The gore was there, but the filth wasn't there. Yeah. And, you know, like, there are movies that can get away with not being, like, movie horror, there are horror movies that can get away with not being gory. 
But the Texas Chainsaw Massacre film is not it because it's mired in that. I choose my word carefully there because I can't think of a better word than mired to describe the level of gore and yeah i mean the the level of gore that was in the original texas chainsaw massacre was unusual even for the 70s exorcist and texas chainsaw massacre kind of live outside of the standard kind of bubble yeah you know i mean yes there's gore you can see it in things like house of wax you can see it in the abominable doctor vibes but it's not to the same level that it is in Texas Chainsaw Massacre or Exorcist. Well, if you look at the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the, the gore is is mostly reserved for the sequels. Looking at the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it is not actually that gory. There's a couple of scenes like the girl getting thrown on the butcher the butcher's hook. Again, um, implied, mostly. Mostly implied. You see blood come out of her mouth. Yeah. But most of it's implied, and most of that implied brutality we're not going to go with gore on that but most of the implied brutality just comes from gunner hansen as leatherface and if you think back to that original movie that came out not that long after the manson family yeah so i mean you're, well, you're and, moving into this very scary time in america well and, and that's the thing you see a lot of the manson family ideas with with the sawyer family You've got Leatherface, who is a riff on Ed Gein. Like, these are... Ed Gein was not part of the Manson family. No, no, but what I'm saying, though, is that you had this guy who was killing people. Yeah, Leatherface was based on Ed Gein. Yeah, exactly. Um, You have... And that's what makes the Texas Chain... The original Texas Chainsaw Massacre so scary, is that it wasn't that far from reality. Yeah. And when you think about that, there's this family that's eating people... The, they're, 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 they got a giant behemoth who wears human skin. And thinking of that as not far from reality, that's scary. You just never know. And that's the thing. It's like there's always that stranger danger out there. Um, and, and, you know, if you think back to the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, these were just some kids that were... Uh, they were visiting the grave of a relative, you know, yeah. that they were laying to rest or wanted to, to put down and... And they just, they, they pitch, pick up a hitchhiker, and it just starts from there. Don't pick up hitchhikers. <laughs> uh, you know, one of my favorite things about that movie is the hitchhiker. Because at the end of the movie, when he's lying there dead on the street, he is lying, or on the, on the road, I should say. He is lying there for hours while they shoot the film. And he, he's, to make it look authentic he has wedged a rock right up against the his jaw that is on the disgustingly hot road yeah and just the level of discomfort well, he must have felt the shooting level that. of discomfort the entire cast and crew had to go through when they were shooting that i mean gunner hansen almost cut his leg off <laughs> you know because they thought oh yeah chainsaw will just puts a, a steak there we'll get some meat going through there and he's like oh, oh that's almost going through my, that's going through pretty quick you know and you, you just sit there and think how could how could you not think that a chainsaw would not do that i mean that's the whole thing but even even the the idea of the snapshots and that 
that noise that those old cameras make and they were using that in the sound effects in that movie and yeah. in the trailer and they did that in the remake as yeah. well and that's one of the few remakes that i really like as a matter yeah of fact. i i think uh, and i think this is the thing with the, the series overall it's not a complicated concept and i think people try to overcomplicate it i think filmmakers have tried to overcomplicate the Texas Chainsaw Massacre over the years, world building, which really doesn't need to happen. But I think fans are overcomplicating things, too, a well, little bit. Okay, and I'm going to talk about that for a second, because this is one of the criticisms I've seen online for this film, is why could it not have been written better? You know, why can't we expect more from our from our slasher films? Well, that's also one of the... And I think that's actually one of the... the criticisms that you and I had for Halloween Kills. But the thing is, this is not Halloween Kills. This is not the Halloween franchise where I do expect a better level of writing. This is Texas Chainsaw Massacre. This doesn't need to be Shakespeare. It just needs to be... It needs to be terror. Exactly. You need to feel the terror that the characters are feeling and in the original you feel that yeah in this remake you go oh yeah you're acting okay i and i don't i don't fully disagree with you but i don't fully agree with you as well because the neat again the bus scene okay but we can't keep saying hey the bus scene was glorious overall you cannot disagree with me overall overall i cannot disagree with you what i will say about the bus scene is that it added a level of um of it was the, it was the glorious scene but not just that they were stuck yeah they were stuck they couldn't move and that was that's where terror of that one scene comes everything else okay i, I wanted that scene i yeah. i said at the top of this discussion i wanted that scene i got that scene yeah. i am overjoyed at that scene yeah but one scene does not a movie make but let, let's go back to the idea, though, that the writing should have been better. Was I expecting Halloween 2018? Absolutely not. Honestly, this is probably the reason that I really like this film more than some other people have, is that I was expecting the same quality as most of the other Texas Chainsaw Massacre sequels, and I got something better than that. Yeah, I, I, I'll i be honest, I was not bored. It did not commit the cardinal sin of boring me. Yeah. Um, I, and I know I've been riffing on the problems with it because I'm trying to explain to the people that come on there and say, well, what do you want from a movie? I'm here to tell you, faithful listeners, my darling aliens, you need to expect every movie to be good. Oh, nobody sets out to make a piece of crap. Okay, but if they do, it is so fair to say, hey, this could have and should have been better. Because they're asking you to plunk down your money, whether it's at the box office or whether it's buying uh, Disney Plus or, or Shutter or, or anything like that, you are spending money. And, you know, I know people will come back and say, well, what about people like Roger Corman who did set up to make a pay scrap? No, Roger Corman, Lloyd Kaufman, people like that, they set out to make money. They did what they could with the budgets they had, and frankly, they did the best they could. Ed Wood didn't think any of his movies were bad. There you go. 
Um, the, and the thing with these movies is that there is normally something about them that is entertaining. Like Mother's Day, for example. The original mm-hmm. Trauma, Trauma's Mother Day. Is it a good film? No. Is it entertaining? Yeah. It is a weird, strange little film with weird gore in it. I find it entertaining. I find it kind of funny. It would make a groovy remake. There is a remake. Um, oh, you're kidding. Yeah, but it's like 2010 it came out. Oh. God, who was in that? I, I can't I didn't, remember. I didn't even know that. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll look that up. We'll talk about that later. But even Roger Corman films... Uh, what was <laughs> Roger Corman's Fantastic Four? Did it ever see the light of day? Well, not officially, but I've seen it. It's a hunk of junk, but it's still kind of funny to watch. Yeah, but Roger Corman also sort of had that philosophy that you didn't have to spend a lot of money to make a decent movie. And really, when you think about it, he proved that point with the original Little Shop of Horrors. Yeah, that's true. That is true. But when you set out to make a movie, you should set out to at least have it be entertaining in some way, shape, or form. Killer Clowns from Outer Space, again, my my ultimate example of this. <laughs> I love that movie. And it is not... The Chiodo brothers 100% knew exactly what yeah, they were making. Yeah, they knew what they... they and they, there's nothing... Let's be clear. There's nothing wrong with these types of movies. No. If you enjoy them, enjoy the hell out of them. Because as we know, there's so little in life anymore to be joyful about so if you enjoy them and it takes you out of the 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 cares of the world by all means enjoy them yeah and that's the thing like with killer comes from our space is i is one of the movies that i truly truly cherish i understand it's not a great film it's not going to win any Oscars, but it's so much fun and it's so ridiculous and it's so harebrained and so and that's fine. There's, yeah. I, I, I like it. I like Killer Clowns from Outer Space. If you sat there and said to me, hey, John, what are you doing uh, Saturday night? And I said nothing. And you said, want to come over and watch Killer Clowns from Outer Space? I'm down with it. It's a fantastic little fun film to watch. Wouldn't win an Oscar, but it's fun. And that's what, that's what I... That is my expectation for most horror films. Not all. There are some horror films... Like, if they made an Exorcist, I guess they are making an Exorcist remake. We're rolling our eyes at that. But here's the thing. I am going to go into that with high expectations. And if it doesn't meet it, that's going to be a problem for me. But with a lot of horror movies, my expectation is that they're just fun. And there are some horror movies where I have been pleasantly surprised. Like, one of my favorite horror movies is The Changing with George C. Scott. I had no expectation watching that other than George C. Scott's going to be fantastic in it. And it turned out to be a wonderful little ghost yeah, story. Yeah, we watched that when we were down uh, going to Niagara Falls Comic Con. We yeah. introduced you to that yeah. movie. And it is a great ghost story. It's well acted. And this is the point that I'm making. A horror movie needs to be one of two things. Either it needs to be hella scary. Right. Which you're going to have fun yeah. with that. It's like being on a roller coaster. Or it needs to be just hella fun. Yeah. And there are so many different, like the Final Destination series, hella fun. Like the Final Destination, like I know with a lot of people in my generation, Final Destination two gets them with the whole log truck yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But other than that, but that, that, again, the Final Destination movies—they play on the things that everybody thinks and is afraid of. They came out when I was younger, um, you know, not not a teenager or anything like that. But I do sit there and think to myself numerous times before seeing that movie yeah driving down the road it's like 
Okay, is that load secure? Is that gonna? Yeah, if I ever see a logging truck on the road, I I make a <laughs> uh, an effort to pass it. But it's the fear of flying. It's the fear of being stuck on a, a train track. It's the fear of being locked in something and suffocating. Look, it's the fear at... of, of burning to death. It's well, all these different things. And how many times in real life have we seen freak accidents happen well, where exactly. people die? Look at part three where it's a, a, a roller coaster accident. Have you, like, every time I go on a roller coaster, I'm just like, eh, well, if something happens, I can't do anything about it, so I may as well just enjoy the ride. Funny story. <laughs> Funny oh, story about that. I go on vacation to Universal Orlando. I'm by myself. Had a great time. I have never been a roller coastery kind of person. I, I do get motion sick. I don't like it. But I challenged myself that I was going to go on roller coasters. And they had three kind of big ones at the time. Uh, one of them's still there. One of them's been transformed into something else. So there was Dueling Dragons in the Islands of Adventure, and there was the Incredible Hulk. Right. I'm on the Hulk. And I turn to the guy that's beside me to apologize to him that I'm probably going to scream. He doesn't speak English. And so it takes off. And I am screaming <laughs> at the top of my lungs. And I shouted out the funniest thing. Somehow it translated to him because he was laughing his, his ass off. I shouted out, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. Oh my God, I'm going to die. And the guy beside me doesn't even know my name. And, and that's the thing. Like I've been to, I've been to Canada's Wonderland a few times. And it's, it's interesting because my little, my literal viewpoint when I go up on one of these rides that take you up really high is if something happens where I slip out and fall, there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. Nothing at all. So I may as well just enjoy the ride. And and that's the thing. Like I was at a a, a state fair, county fair type thing, and we were on this pendulum thing. And I'm looking at it. I'm looking because of how my brain works. I'm not focused on the ride. I'm focused up on on what looks like a linchpin that looks like it's sliding out. And I'm like, huh. I might die right now. <laughs> I think that the nice thing about going to Universal Orlando is one of the trips I was there was with my friend Mark, and our room faced the park. So every morning when we woke up, we woke up to them testing the Hulk. So I felt secure that they have done their Fair. due diligence on this. Fair. But even the things can happen, and and uh, Final Destination plays on those fears. Bravo to it. And that's kind of my point of 90s horror. I always felt that 90s horror was just kind of fun. Yeah. It's not very poignant. It doesn't hold up very well. It's It really is the idea of, hey, let's get a group of uh, whatever popular young actors are, are here now and throw them into this mix and, and see what happens. And people will love it and it'll be great. And yeah, it, they were. But they don't hold up well like the classics. Yeah, I agree with that. And, and that's kind of the thing with 90s horror. Like early 90s horror... I felt horror kind of lost itself in the early '90s because studios were too were hinging too hard on trying to find the next big thing mm -hmm. instead of letting it happen organically. And then Scream happened, and it happened organically. And then you have had the the kind of copycats like. I know what you did last summer, like urban legend, like Valentine. But I, I really like I know what you did last summer. Oh, not the, not taking the, away from its quality. Yeah, the, the sequel, not so much, but I do like the original. Did you ever see the third one? 
Listen, I, I don't want it. Don't come for me. I'm not going to sit there and play the game of, oh, can you call yourself a real horror fan? Yes, I can. I don't need to see every piece of garbage that is made to call myself a horror fan. Um, I, it's not, it wasn't even put out in movie theaters. No. I didn't even know it existed until I picked up uh, the, the three pack. The three pack, yeah, there at Walmart. And I'm just like, what? There's a third one? Right. <laughs> so I was just. I was just kind of flabbergasted. Oh my god! Okay, speaking just a, a quite just a quick sidebar. Speaking of films, I did not know there was a sequel to. There is a sequel to the Jessica Lange King Kong film from the seventies. Yeah, I did not know that. Yeah, King Kong lives. Anyway, um, apparently King Kong psychic in it or something. Well, that. <laughs> That King Kong in the 70s with Jessica Lange uh, did very well. Yeah. And so uh, Dino T. Laurentiis said, I need money. Yeah. And so he, he made King Kong Lips, which I have seen, but I do not remember because it's not great. I didn't even know it existed. Anyway, anyway, anyway. So um, Yeah, so I want to just quickly mention thing. Oscars are coming up. Yes, they are. And this has really nothing, like we're, we're done our, our main topic. Um, what was interesting is today I watched... Um, being the Ricardos. Right. Okay. And this stars Javier Bardem and Nicole Kidman and J.K. Simmons. And uh, they're playing Desi Arnaz and Lucille Ball and um, Willem Frawley and, and the whole thing. And it takes place over a week of them um, shooting the Isle of Lucy show. Now, with biopics, we know that things are done for drama or, or yeah. for, for the sake of the script. However, the executive producers were Desi and Lucy's kids. Right. So there was this great scene in it where the producer, Jess Oppenheimer, says to Desi Arnaz, it's like, hey, you know, he's sort of, because Lucy had gone to him and said, you know, Desi's really smart. He does all these things and he should get an executive producer credit. And so Jess Oppenheimer sits, I, I hope this is true because the response was glorious. If it was just there for the movie, I don't care. It's glorious. He says to Desi, you're the I in I Love Lucy. So when you really think about it, you're the star of the show, not Lucy, you know. And so he, Desi says, oh, I, I'm, I'm the I in I Love Lucy. I, oh, I like that. I, I like that. I'm the I. And he says, yeah, yeah. See, you're the, you're the I in I Love Lucy. He's oh, I'm the I. And then he leans in and he whispers to him. And if Desi Arnaz actually said this to Jess Oppenheimer, what a badass. Because the line goes like this. He, and imagine Javier Bardem playing Desi Arnaz saying this. The line goes something like this. I didn't memorize it. Um, if you ever patronize me again, I will reach down your throat and rip out your lungs. Wow. I hope... Desi Arnaz said that to Jess Oppenheimer. I hope that is a true statement because what a glorious line that is. That is beautiful. And it's this movie, it's kind of weird because now we're getting into movies are getting weird because now we're getting into not only independent movies, but movies that are made by Netflix, movies that are made by Amazon. This was by Amazon Studios. Yeah, so in order for it to qualify for the Oscars, it had to play in theaters somewhere. Yep. But as also you can stream it. So it's it's getting weird. I want to say to you, you will not see better performances than you will see in this. And it's amazing that I Love Lucy still plays. It has never been off the air. It is considered widely 
the greatest American sitcom that everybody loves. If you get a chance to watch it, watch it for the acting alone because Nicole Kidman nails Lucille Ball. She just nails the performance. Javier Bardem does a great job and J.K. Simmons as William Frawley does a great job and all three of them have been nominated for an Oscar for these roles. I'll have to sit down and watch that. I do want to watch, I at least want to watch all of the movies that have been nominated for Best Picture. Now, let's talk about a little bit about the category, specifically Best Original Score. So the the Oscars have done away with several categories this year, including Best Original Score. Yeah, but they're adding some stupid piece of crap, meaningless thing called Fan Favorite. Oh, good God. So here's the problem. Um, one, our best original score is typically one of my favorite uh, categories, and it's gone now. They might bring it back next no, year. I, Who knows? I, I don't think the category is gone. I think they it might be gone from the show that they maybe have put it in because they're always trying to find ways to shorten it. So it may be in like with the technical awards or something else like that. I I like the the scores because like there, there's so many ones that they could really do without, but. Yeah, like hair and makeup. That can go with technical. Yeah, uh, well, makeup is actually one of the um, youngest categories because yeah. that just came about in the 80s and the first one was given to Rick Baker for American Werewolf in London. Oh, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the Oscars has had a lot of flack lately, but uh, maybe maybe we'll talk about that in the next uh, yeah, we'll, next podcast because it'll be closer to the actual Oscars. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about the Oscars in the future. Um, definitely, I want to get down, I want to sit down, and I want to watch all of the, the Best Picture nominees, um, and we'll, we'll, we'll have a chat about that. Yeah, for sure. Um, saw the Power of the Dog, so those are two that I've seen. Um, that one stars... Benedict Cumberbatch and uh, Kristen Stewart and Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons uh, is an actor that seems to be in just about everything, <laughs> but not as a main character. And I saw a movie with him last night, horror movie, called Antlers. Antlers is great. It's the best kind of type of body horror and suspense that you could possibly have. And it's the... the uh, idea of the the legend of the wendigo and graham green's in it not enough in my opinion graham green isn't in anything enough in my opinion yeah and it's just a well done movie i'm not going to say it's beautiful but my only criticism of the movie is that the the creature the actual wendigo creature we didn't see enough of because lately it seems like they are lighting horror movies way too dark Remember in the 80s, there was that nice blue to, yeah. to the night, and you could see what was happening. So, anyway. So, just want to go over the Best Picture nominees. So, we got Nightmare Alley, which is going to be on Disney Plus in March, which I can't wait to see. I hope we can see that before the Oscars, because I wanted to see that um, think, when it came out in theaters, but we yeah. couldn't because the theaters yeah. were closed. Uh, Don't Look Up, which I'm... I've seen that. I have watched part of it. When I watched it, it... Caused me to have all the anxiety when I turned it <laughs> off. Uh, Dune, which we've both seen. That's going to get, that is definitely going to get special effects. Of course it is. Uh, Drive My Car, which I haven't heard of. Uh, Belfast. Liquor- I wanted to see Belfast. That looks interesting. That's what uh, Kenneth Brown is, I guess, the director on that one. Yeah, and Judy Dench is in it. Um, Licorice Pizza, uh, directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Now, that one's gotten a little bit of controversy because 
It involves, I guess, a relationship between an older adult woman and a teenage boy. So that'll be interesting to see, I guess. Uh, the Power of the Dog. West Side Story, which again will be on Disney Plus in March. Uh, King Richard, which I really want to see. Because Will Smith, when Will Smith is doing a serious role, he is good. And I, I, I really want to see King Richard. And Coda. Uh, I actually have I've never heard of Coda. I mean, I've heard of it. I just heard the name. I don't know what it's about. But those are those are some movies that I do want to see, yeah. uh, so that we can definitely talk about it around. And I, I also want to see the uh, acting categories um, if we can, because yeah. again, uh, being the Ricardos, um, there's three big categories right there that uh, are not in a Best Picture nominated movie. Nick, how can our listeners get a hold of us? Oh, well, they can join us on our Facebook group if they search for Area 51 and a half. That is Area 511 slash 2. On Twitter, they can find us at the Area 51H and on Twitch at the Area 51H. And don't forget to join us on our Facebook page for Area 51 and a half, where we also have... Things like, um, which will be starting in March, I will be doing the Friday Night Fright Flick where I'm going to talk just a little bit about uh, a movie that I'm watching that Friday night. Um, I'm not going to do the obvious thing with Leprechaun because of St. Patrick's Day. So what the theme for March is, is I'm going to look at the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And on the group, I also do Sci-Fi Sunday where I highlight and quickly review sci-fi movies uh my theme for march because international women's day is on march i'll be doing um a bit on or i'll be doing movies that are that follow strong female characters so again i i'm going to ask this question if you can we'll post it on the facebook so that you can interact with us according to the belay brothers the four tenants of dragula are drag filth horror and glamour i want you to give me the question will be what is your favorite filthy or greasy horror movie oh man oh man i'm gonna start that one right off you just want to dive in there don't you i do want to dive in there but that is all the time that we have for this week so this is john allen and nick snyder snyderman 501 saying we love you aliens and we'll see you again here at area 51 and a half that was pretty good that was pretty good good discussion considering we've been away from it for so long yeah it's uh i'm just glad oh gosh okay